It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Swing and a drive! Swing, there's a shot. High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Bang! And as he struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski! Gone! And late night Lamont strikes nice again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Parker. With Adam Copeland. What is going on? Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. A great conversation coming up in just a few minutes in the podcast with Giants right fielder, center fielder, defensive extraordinaire, Mike Yastrzemski, who I do think is on the short list of one of the all-time great defensive right fielders at Oracle Park. We've done this over the last couple of months, I think, with some of the great plays Mike has made earlier this season and actually even going back to last year and the year before in the four seasons now into his fourth year with the Giants and spending a lot of time out in right field. One of the most difficult right fields in all of baseball to play. He's got to be on that list, I think, with guys like Randy Wynn. I I know a lot of Giants fans have some sour memories of Jose Cruz Jr. and the drop ball in Miami in the 2003 Division Series, but won a gold glove playing right field. I believe the only gold glove outfielder for the Giants since they moved to this ballpark back in 2000. He played a brilliant right field, and fortunately, we all remember that one drop in the 2003 Division Series, but a couple of the other great ones, obviously Hunter Pence. Uh, Pence at the fence is one of the great catches in right field. I mentioned Randy Wynn. Nate Shearholtz played a real good right field for the Giants out there. I think Mike Yastrzemski belongs in that conversation. So we'll talk to him as well of, as well as some of his approach this year against left-handed pitching and some of the developments he's had to make or adjustments he's had to make to his swing or his approach at the plate now that he is four years into his big league career. Uh, you think back to the, the big walk-off grand slam he hit against Josh Hader, who had not allowed a home run all season before the Giants got him for three in one inning, and Josh Hader has continued his struggles. We'll talk to Mike about some of the great moments in his career. He also had a game-tying home run, or a go-ahead home run, I should say, in the eighth inning of a game last year where he came up, hit a grand slam into the Cove. Do guys actually think about hitting home runs when they walk up to the plate? And if so, how successful are they when they do so? We'll talk to Mike Yastrzemski about all of that as well. Something I do want to hit on, though, uh, you know, for the NFL, it's a big deal every single year. Well, really every event for the NFL is a big deal. You get your uh, your schedule release day. You get your draft day. You get your free agent day. The NFL's done a great job of making every benchmark date on their annual calendar sort of an event for their fans. Well, for the first time I feel like in my life, looking ahead to next year's schedule for baseball has become an extremely exciting thing because for the first time in a long time, baseball is adjusting how they balance the schedule. In fact, they're calling this the balanced schedule. So as it stands right now, you play about 19 games against every team in your division each year, right? You also get to play one opposite division. Uh, opposite meaning from the American League if you're a National League team and from the NL if you're in the AL. So, for example, this year the Giants played the American League Central. That's why right now they're on a trip out to Detroit. They're going out to Minnesota. You've seen Detroit come to uh, to San Francisco. We've seen the Royals. We've seen the Guardians. Giants went to Cleveland earlier this year. Well, what's going to happen is because now, and, and I'm in agreement with this, because the designated hitter has been eliminated from both leagues, we should have a more balanced 
schedule. Every team should play every team every season, and not just for balancing the schedule, but for fans like you and me, for fans to get the opportunity to see a guy like Miguel Cabrera make his final stop in San Francisco if, in fact, he does call it a career at the end of this season. For fans to get an opportunity to say goodbye to some of their all-time greats that they don't get an opportunity to see each year, right? Because even when you go opposite, one year you're facing the AL Central and then West and East, not every team comes to your ballpark each and every year. It's still not going to be like that, but it is going to balance across the board. For example, on Wednesday, uh, August 24th, just yesterday, the uh, the schedule was released for the 2023 season. The Giants are going to play every team in the American League next year. Now, the ones that do not come to San Francisco next season, the Giants will go to their home, and then in 2024, it will flip, and all the teams that did not come here that year will come the following season in 2024. So as we get the schedule, a really, really, really cool-looking thing is that the Giants are going to open the 2023 season in New York, not against the Mets, but at Yankee Stadium against the New York Yankees. How cool is that? So the Yankees will not come to San Francisco in 2023, but they will come in 2024. And the Giants, that sounds like a fun Giants road trip. I'm I'm already looking at, uh, at flights. I'm looking at uh, potential hotel opportunities. Can I get out to New York for opening day, Yankees and the Giants? That'd be a cool, cool thing. Going back to the, uh, the old school uh, Giants-Yankees World Series days back in the 30s and of course, before the Giants moved out here in uh, in 1958. So something to pay attention to as far as the schedule goes. Something else we should note is the teams the Giants will host as far as American League opponents go. The Baltimore Orioles, the Boston Red Sox, the Cleveland Guardians, Kansas City, Oakland, Seattle, Tampa, and Texas will all come to San Francisco in 2023. The Giants are also going to visit the A's. You'll still get your uh, sort of geographical rivals. So the Yankees will still play the Mets. The Giants will play the, uh, the A's every year. The Marlins will play the Rays. You're still going to get those nationals playing the Orioles those little sets you're going to get geographically are still going to happen Uh, something else to note and I always love this is when the Giants get holidays especially weekend holidays or Monday holidays at home for some reason in my mind I just feel like we don't end up with a lot of them I can think back to maybe 2008 or 2007 going to a Giants and uh, and Dodgers game uh, on 4th of July and Osiris Matos was pitching for the Giants I, I don't remember whether or not they won the ball game but it's cool to have holidays at the ballpark I try to spend as many of those at the ballpark as I can the Giants are going to be home for Easter Sunday it's going to be April the 9th the next year against Kansas City also Memorial Day Monday May 29th against Pittsburgh and they'll be home Tuesday the 4th of July against the Seattle Mariners. That's kind of cool. They'll be on the road for Mother's Day and Father's Day and Labor Day, but getting three of those at home is pretty sweet. So as far as the balance of the schedule goes, I think that's going to be pretty sweet. It's going to be a nice uh, nice way for fans to get an opportunity to see every team in all of baseball. You get a chance, as I said, to, to say goodbye to some of your retiring favorite players, get an opportunity to see some of the young talent and young players that we don't get to see each and every season. And as far as the division goes, as I mentioned, 19 games is what you get against your opponents right now. Though those will be shaved down to about 13 games. So the Giants will play uh, four series against each one of their division rivals, two at home, two on the road, and that'll balance the schedule out a little bit. I've always thought that was maybe a more fair way to do it. You're doing it now like the NBA, where you get an opportunity to see every team in all of baseball. So pretty cool. So uh, go ahead and check out the schedule. Pick your games. Pick your dates. Pick your road trips on where it is you want to go. Giants do have a couple of three-city road trips next year, and their longest home stand is going to be a nine-game stint from July 25th to August 3rd. They'll play Oakland, Boston, and Arizona, all in San Francisco. And uh, and a guy who may be involved in many, if not all, of those series is number five, the right fielder, Mike Yastrzemski, who was nice enough to make some time for us today on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. Uh, One of the great names in all of baseball, Yastrzemski, and it's really, really cool that he's a San Francisco Giant. You think back to 
2019 in Bruce Bochy's final season as manager, and they get to go out to Boston. How magical was that? He gets to catch his grandfather for the ceremonial first pitch. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski comes out, throws a strike to Mike, and then Mike steps up and hits a home run to dead center field at Fenway Park. That's I mean, that's something out of a movie. That's something you can't. That's like a that's some Kevin Costner for love of the game stuff, right? Throwing the perfect game at Yankee Stadium. Just a really really special moment. And so we'll get into all of that as well as the success of Mike Yastrzemski through his first four years in the big leagues. What adjustments he's had to make. Uh, as he gets later and later into his major league career. All stuff we'll discuss with Mike Yastrzemski, who joins us right here on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. Pleasure to welcome Mike Yastrzemski to the Inside Giant Moments podcast. Uh, one of the one of like the tenured vets now uh, with the San Francisco Giants. Mike, I know uh, 2020 kind of threw everybody off uh, as far as like timing or your schedule or your calendar. Like I can't remember what happened in 19 or 20 or 21, uh, but I can't believe it's been four years that you've been here now, man. It's like you're uh, you really are. You're one of the vets of the team, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I, I can't really believe that either. You know, it feels like it was just yesterday that uh, I was making my debut and kind of feeling like a uh, like a lost puppy trying to find his bed at night at times, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, everything felt like it was moving so fast, but um, it's been an incredible journey so far and it's been tons of fun. Does it still seem like it's moving fast or do, do you have, I mean, obviously you've got a routine, but is it, does it just feel, is it, is it life now? This is just normal. You're, you're a big leaguer and, uh, and you're trying to help the team win day to day. I wouldn't say it's normal. Um, it still feels incredibly cool every day. You know, I try and take every little aspect, can't take anything for granted, trying to have fun and enjoy every moment because at some point it's going to end. Um, and so I'm just trying to help the team win right now, but also remember that it's just a, it's just a kid's game and that we're out here trying to have fun at the same time. Has your, in like in general, has your routine changed from when you got to the big leagues? I know that's a thing. Like I talked to Joey Bart uh, earlier this week and, and he was talking about that, trying to figure out what it means to be a big leaguer and, and get to the ballpark early and know how to use your time wisely. Is that something you've sort of completely settled into at this point? And has it evolved since you've come up? Um, yeah, it, it definitely has. It, it was a little different earlier on before any of the COVID stuff happened. When COVID happened, things kind of changed and, um, you were forced to create a different routine because you couldn't be at the field as long. The gym was in a different place. There was also couldn't use hot tubs. There were so, so many things that were um, just out of whack. And so in 19, I used to never take the bus. If I took the bus, I felt like I was late. So I would Uber before the bus to the field. Now I take the bus to the field. So that's one thing that's changed. Um, trying to think of what else as you as you get older, you kind of find more time in the training room. And so that's something that's been helping me a lot. And you don't feel like you're getting in anybody else's way because you actually need to be in there. <laughs> but other than that, it's been about the same. How about uh, in terms of, of living in, in San Francisco or in the Bay Area? Uh, I, I imagine it's a, it's a place that was new to you when you when you first came over here. Uh, you're, you were a Tennessee guy, right? Is that right? Yeah, I live in Tennessee. I was born in Massachusetts, so I lived there until I went to college. Um, we live in Nashville now, so we are not really big, like, in-city folks, mm -hmm. And uh, but we live in the city here, and so we actually really enjoy it because we get a little bit of both. We get to be living in the city here where we can walk everywhere, and there's coffee shops and great food all over the place, and then when we're in Nashville, we're we're outside the city a little bit. So we enjoy some peace and quiet and we, we have a, you know, a nice piece of property that 
you know, we can go hang out in the backyard and just chill. So it's, it's good for, for both worlds. That's the dream, dude. Uh, you get the, like you said, the best of both worlds. What's the, uh, what's the food item in, in Nashville that you're not getting in San Francisco that you can't wait to get back for. And what is it vice versa that when you're in San Francisco or when you go back for the off season, you're like, man, I can't wait to, to get back and get my, I don't know, your, your bread bowl full of, of uh, clam chowder or something. What's the, what's the, the food item in either city? Um, let's see. Nashville would probably be, what do I always, I would say they're, they're hot chicken. What's hot uh, chicken? So it's like, it's basically like spicy chicken. Yeah. It's spicy chicken, like deep fried, Southern deep fried chicken. Um, that would be the one thing that I, I missed from there that I'm not getting in, in San Francisco. And then in San Francisco, I would say, honestly, there's so many good sushi places and I haven't found like a great sushi place in Nashville that I love. So I would say sushi is the thing that I miss most in San Francisco. Dude, that's, I mean, sushi here is incredible and, and always a little risky getting sushi in like landlocked states or something like that. So maybe, maybe good to stay on the coast with that. Uh, getting back to some baseball stuff. Have you gotten to a point now in your career where, where, I mean, there's younger guys who are coming up. Seems like almost every week, Camilo Doval, a young guy, Joey Bard, and, and we could go down the list of the guys from this year and last. Have you gotten to a point where younger guys are, are leaning on you or talking to you about advice or mentorship about how to, how to stay in the bigs and what it means to be a big leaguer? Um, that That's one of the, more fun things about being a big leaguer is watching guys come up and make their debut. And it kind of makes you, makes you go through your, your experience again, you get to rewatch somebody's life changing for the first time as yours did. And then they are then asking you for advice for how do I stay here? How do I succeed here? Um, all these sorts of things that, that will hopefully create a good career for them. And so, yeah, I've, I've actually worked a lot with Gonzo lately. Um, he's been doing a great job and um, you know, I'm sure we'll see him in probably another 10 days or something like that whenever he's eligible to come back. But um, yeah, it's really cool to watch guys just have such drive to, to get there and stay there and the passion that they, they bring to the game and bring to the team. Yeah, Gonzo, I mean, he's he looks like a big leaguer and he, he did an incredible job. And and obviously he's had to make some adjustments because you go through the league a time and they kind of get a book on you. And, and that's sort of, I think, what we've seen and had to sort of hit the reset button. And I'm with you. I think he'll be back. And I think the same can be said about Joey Bart. I, like I mentioned, we talked to him earlier this week and he was talking about the adjustments, uh, you know, the, that come in place throughout a season or throughout a career. How has that process worked for you? Do you notice guys four years in pitching you differently or seeing you differently, throwing you stuff you didn't see before? Has that, uh, has that been a noticeable change for you yeah for sure and um also i more so noticed it after the 2020 season you know i had a i had a good year and then all of a sudden it was like i was getting pitched completely differently um for a long time guys felt like i could be exposed in one area and then they kind of abandoned that ship and started pitching me almost completely opposite. And then it would just be a flip-flop. And then all of a sudden it wasn't anything consistent. Each team would do something different. And so there's kind of like organizational philosophies on each player. And so you start to see that happen and you pick up on trends. And then sometimes when you think you've figured them out, they switch them up or they stay the same and you have a good week. So it's uh, it's fun. It's a fun mental battle that goes on. Yeah, it's a chess match. That's that's what uh, what baseball is all about—the back and forth and and making the adjustments are, are what keep you successful at the big league level. I, I don't know if you saw this earlier this week, like uh, Shohei Otani, who's like an unfair 
person anyway. Like he's, it's unbelievable that this guy exists. You know what I mean? Like what he's able to do. I don't know if you saw that he walked out there the other day and was doing his normal stuff on the mound. And all of a sudden he broke out like a two seamer or a sinker. And everyone's like, dude, this isn't a pitch that he used to throw. Have you had that happen where you stepped into the box and you thought you had a book on a guy and then all of a sudden he throws you something. You're like, I didn't know this guy had a, a slider or a, a two seam that he wasn't using last year. Yeah. I've had it happen a couple of times. Um, I think it was this year we were in San Diego and forget who their reliever was, but we didn't have him on on the report as having a change up. And it was like, you know, fastball slider guy, you know, here, here are the percentages. Here's where he likes to throw each one. And the second pitch he threw me was a change up. And change up was not ever in my mind that he even had the option to do that. And I kind of just laughed and looked in the dugout. It tends, it tends to happen to there's like three or four people that it'll happen to on our team. It's either like me, Craw, or Flo. Um, and we'll get our scouting report and it'll not have a certain pitch. And then we'll see that pitch or they'll, it'll be like 1%, you know, that throws his slider to lefties 1% of the time. And then, so the thought is like, all right, you can just eliminate really. And then he throws like three of them and we'll just. <laughs> Great. We, Sweet report, great numbers. This was fun. Um, but no, it's at that point, you just kind of have to laugh, you know. That's that's the odds, that's the breaks of the game, right? So funny, a guy's gonna throw thousands and thousands of pitches all year, and uh, and maybe throwing three in a row to you actually is one percent of the that slider he's gonna throw, but those are the uh, the adjustments you got to make. Uh, so one of my favorite parts about your game, man, is how, how well you play right field at Oracle Park. I think you're absolutely in the conversation for best defensive right fielder since the park opened. Jose Cruz Jr., I think, is the one that comes to mind from 2003 for a lot of people. Hunter Pence played a great right field. Austin Slater's done a nice job out there. Uh, is it the hardest right field in baseball for you, you think? Um, it's just in everything's unknown. Um, you don't know what the wind's going to do. You can throw grass up in the air all you want. It's never going to tell you what's actually happening. The sun is brutal from five o'clock until it sets. The ball is concrete with different angles, with letter on it, with scoreboards on it, with chain link fence below it, with other concrete layered on top of it. And it is almost impossible to know what's going to happen when something hits that thing. So it's one of those things that I've just accepted. I, I haven't tried to master anything with it. It's just I try to be in a general vicinity to make something happen. So if I see a ball in an area, it's like, all right, I think it could bounce 17 different ways, but 14 of them end up in this area. So let's try and be right there. So it's kind of trying to limit your odds of, of missing the ball. So it's, it's definitely the hardest right field, I think. Yeah. You didn't even mention sometimes there's people like right behind you talking to you while you're playing too. You get fans out there on the port walk, right? That is also true. <laughs> you got people hanging out. Uh, you know, when the park opened, I, I think it was pretty clear everybody, well, the right fielders, especially if you see it on, on opposing teams because they play so few games there. Uh, the, the goal was to sort of shade towards Triples Alley. You'll give up the line because it's so short down the road. It's a 309 or something. Oh, it's, uh, it's pretty short down the right field line. Uh, so, so they shade towards Triples Alley to sort of take away the triple and protect uh, that part instead of giving up the double, which is fine, or a single. Is that sort of the way you go about it? Is, is the goal sometimes to shade that way? I know it changes hitter to hitter, but is that a big concern? So sort of protecting triples alley? Um, I wouldn't say it's about protecting triples alley. I think it's about giving ourselves the best chance to make a play. So 
if a guy has a spray chart that is super heavy in the gap, we're going to play towards the gap. But if they have a spray chart that's super heavy towards the line, just because there's a really big gap doesn't mean we're not going to play towards where we think they're going to hit the ball. So we're going to play towards the line. So um, it varies with the pitcher on the mound too, because there's going to be a difference between how we play our defense with Rodon on the mound versus Raj. So those, those things also come into play. Um, also the, how the ball's flying, the wind, the sun, all these things all come into play when we're doing our defensive positioning. So um, I, w- I wouldn't specifically say it's to protect the alley, but there are times where we need to do that. Situationally, I got you. I, so the, the other part of playing right field is I'm all for the netting that's up to foul lines now. I know it's for fan safety. Everybody's on their cell phones now, so not as many people paying attention to foul balls maybe. Uh, do, do you use it to your advantage knowing that you can go all out? Because I've seen you crash into that thing like, I don't know, half dozen times maybe this year. You just sort of fall into the net. But uh, it, it keeps you from landing in somebody's crab sandwich up the right field line. Or is, is it something you have to navigate that's kind of a distraction? Um, if you're – it's very comforting if you catch the ball in front of it, like where you're – full speed you're not going to be able to slow down in time to really like not flip over it and then you can just kind of lean into the net and it's going to be great but the thing that is hard is that you can't just like go right up to the wall where it's a high fly ball and just kind of like lean a little bit over and catch it where you have to like maneuver the net with your hand you may not be able to catch one if it's at the wrong angle so it's a little bit of both worlds is that allowed are you allowed to like push the net back and make the catch that's totally in play Wow, that's in the ground rules. I never thought about that. I guess like I guess you're allowed to lean over into fans and, and catch a ball like that too. Rob a home run would be the same thing, right? Yeah, that's how we uh, ended a game against the Dodgers. I think, or is either we ended the game or is a second second out last year in the ninth inning when uh, Justin Turner hit a pop up down the line and I was running down and I put my hand on the net and caught it and there I think they wanted to try and challenge it, but it, I guess it wasn't allowed. It was okay for me to do that. They haven't put the net in the reviewable plays yet. So I guess we're, we're good on that front. Uh, I was talking to Brandon Crawford the other day about his walk-off home run against the D-backs uh, and how clutch he's been, especially late in his career. And it's funny you mentioned that it happens to you, Wilmer, and Crawford, that guys will, like, you know, throw a 1% pitch a whole bunch of times because I look at you three guys as maybe the three most clutch guys on the team. And the similarity, I think, from a fan perspective is you're all very even-keeled. Like, I always joke, uh, Wilmer Flores is like a Leo DiCaprio in The Departed when he's like, no matter what happens, my hand doesn't move. And then he got a little emotional the other day it caught me off guard I was like I never seen Wilmer get all fired up like that uh you, you had a huge maybe the most clutch moment of the season the, the grand slam walk off against Josh Hader I mean it was just incredible it's an all-time moment are you comfortable under that type of pressure because I feel like you've come up huge like that basically since you got to the bigs yeah I think that's probably one of those things where I just accept whatever's and I don't feel like it's a big moment in the time because I have a lot of trust in my teammates. So if I don't get the job done, it's not a big deal. Somebody else is going to do it right behind me or the guy in front of me is going to do it as I'm on deck. So I'm not thinking about it too much, but those are the things that you play in your mind as you're a kid in the backyard, you know, like you want to be up with the bases loaded two outs in the ninth, hitting a home run. And so that makes it, that makes it fun. You know, it should, it should be fun. There shouldn't be any stress or pressure. It's those big moments are what you dream of and kind of the reason why you play the game. And so for me, they uh, they tend to actually slow slow down a lot. 
That's incredible. I mean, you can have that sort of focus and that sort of pressure moment. I remember Luis Gonzalez, uh, not our Luis Gonzalez, the first Luis Gonzalez with the, the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2001, when he came up against Mariano Rivera, he said, all he was thinking is it's game seven of the world series, uh, winning runs on third base bases loaded. I'm facing the best closer in the history of the game. All he could think of was every kid imagines this, just don't screw this up. And it's incredible that it's true. That's like the one thought any kid who's ever picked up a bat and ball thinks about. It's not, you know, you think about, you know, making the, the game winning jump shot or something as the clock winds down, but something different about the pause and pressure of baseball. So when that situation comes up, have you ever walked up to the plate trying to hit a home run? Cause you had a grand slam last year, a go ahead home run when, can't remember who it was against. Uh, you hit a splash. It was a no doubter. You dropped the bat. You look like Bonds the way you dropped the bat. It was super cool. I think I tweeted out that, that you looked exactly like Bonds. But have you walked up in situations trying to hit a home run before and then done it? Uh, s- several times. That was one of them. <laughs> uh, I remember that one. Because there are certain times where you have to take your shot in the game. Yeah. You know, it's it's the high leverage moment. You know that the game's going to change one way or another in that moment. You know, you're either going to take the lead or you may not get another chance. And so um, sometimes you have to do that. And it's really cool when that happens because you feel like you're kind of like a psychic where you're like, wow, I just saw that happening. And then I actually did it. It was so cool. Um, but, yeah, that those are those are really fun when they happen like that. Yeah, man. And it ignites a clubhouse, ignites a fan base. And last year it seemed like, I mean, it's like, it was a magic carpet ride, dude. It was like anybody who popped Don Solano or, or whether it was Lamont Wade or it was you, you guys were like the comeback kids or it's like we were, we'd roll into the eighth of the ninth inning back-to-back days off of Kenley Jansen. I think, uh, I think Lamont Wade got him down in, uh, in Los Angeles. It was just, it's really cool. And, and the last week or so you guys have had a couple of those. It's, is that important for a team to know that you've still got that, that comeback element? It sort of reminds you that, that you're, I know everybody believes in themselves, but when you see it happen, like you're talking about, about you imagine it and then it happens does it change something sort of for your confidence and the emotion of the team yeah I think it I think it really benefits you in terms of seeing your hard work pay off you know like you're in there you're in the trenches with the guys you're grinding you're giving up a few runs you want to get your pitcher off the hook and it happens then you're like then you start to believe and there's a difference between having confidence and believing in yourself um confidence is you know thinking you can get something done believing is knowing that it's going to happen and I think we had a ton of belief last year and it also you get to a point where so many of those things happen and whether they were luck or just kind of fate I I don't know how you want to phrase it but it was just magical and we ran into some bumps this year that we hadn't last year and so we're we were just trying to figure out how to eliminate the long skids. And so having these couple like comeback wins and big moments are really big for us because I think they help us try and believe a little more. That's a, that's a great explanation. You're right. And I, it's not just you guys. It's like last year when that happened, I believed as a fan, I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if they're down, like it's going to happen here. Like they're coming back. And then when it happened, like the, the grand slam off a, uh, off of Josh Hader and you guys hit three homers in that inning. It was like, boy, they still have this in and that's still in there. I think it's a good reminder for, for the fan base that you guys are still capable of those types of comebacks. So in clubhouse culture, I've always felt like in baseball, it's more important than other sports because you guys spend every day together from like February to October or more. Like it's, I mean, it's incredible how long you guys are together. Who's the guy in the clubhouse that keeps things light when you're going through, not you personally, but maybe the team is going through one of those stretches where things aren't going well, or it's a little tense. Who's the clubhouse guy that maybe not the, the clown or the jokester or anything, but who's the, who's the, keep things light guy um jock keeps things really light um he is a ball of energy he's just always 
you can't keep him in the same room for like five minutes. He's like, he's talking to everybody. Um, Webby keeps things pretty light too. Webby's really fun to, to hang out with. Um, Slater keeps things. There's a lot of guys that keep things like really light that don't try and take the results too seriously and drag them into the next day. You know, we got to, you know, if we lose a game, we got to just kind of push it to the side and move on and not worry about it. Uh, two people this week, uh, Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle and John Miller both said John Brebbia is one of the funniest guys on the team. Is Brebbia a, a crack up? That is true too. Yeah. Brebbia, Brebbia is really funny. He, uh, he's kind of, he's like different funny though. You know, he, uh, he actually will like throw like jokes out there, you know, like jocks more of like, uh, we're, you know, we're laughing together. Brebbia is more like I'm laughing at what he just told me, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, different ways. Yeah, he's working a bit. He's like doing a doing a, a routine or something. Uh, how, how about the addition of a guy like JD Davis at the trade deadline? It's always interesting when a guy joins a club middle of the season and, and coming across country. I mean, Darren Ruff going out. We, you know, we, we saw the interview with him and it's tough on the families. And he's got a kid who was about to start school. But then the, the return of that is JD Davis, who leaves a team that was tops in the division. I think he's been fantastic in the middle of the order, maybe better than than what people even expected. How impressed have you been with him, and, and how has he fit in with the clubhouse? Uh, I've been most impressed with how quickly he's fit in, actually. Like, his performance has been great. It's yeah. been amazing. Um, but the way that he's meshed in with the guys in a matter of a week has been really, really impressive. And he's super easygoing, really cool. Um, and, you know, I'm just happy that we got a good teammate back as well because we got rid of one of the better ones. Um, so it was nice to, to get another good good clubhouse guy in return. So, um, you know, in, in terms of that, um, it, it worked out well. I just wish we knew rough could pitch like that. You know I mean? He might've helped out some innings early in the year. I know. Right. That was incredible, dude. Uh, so as we get closer to the final stretch of the season, uh, you guys are still in this thing like very much. So D- does the mentality of the team change at all? We talked about the, the five game win streak and a couple of those walk-off wins really let you know that's still in there and you start to believe a little bit more. You don't want to start pressing, but it's also getting close to like, Hey, it's do or die time. we got to make this thing happen. Does anything change for you or the team mentally this time of year? Uh, no, you can't, you can't let anything change. Everything's got to be the same and even keel because once you start putting more pressure on yourself or certain situations, your teammates feel it, the atmosphere changes and pressing is one of the worst things to do in baseball because the game already moves so fast. And if you try and create something that's not there, it's going to move even faster. And we want to try and stay away from that and just stay in each moment, play one game at a time and have one pitch. I like that. I like that, uh, that focus there. I, I think, uh, and that's something I think we see from Gabe too. I think he, he sort of leads that way that he's pretty much always the same guy when, when talking to the media, there are times where he's been frustrated, rightly so. But I think, uh, I think he leads by example in that regard. And the team sort of follows suit. Boach was kind of that guy as well. I forgot to ask you earlier when we were talking about the clubhouse stuff and, and you being in San Francisco, I meant to tell you, I saw the, the, the photo shoot you did out in Oakland with your buddy, Tony Kemp and, uh, and both it was it his daughter and your daughter and the hats on and you guys are in uniform. I thought that was one of the coolest things. Is that how cool is that though to get to share that with your family? Crawford was saying the other day, like his kids getting to stay up and watch the walk-off home run was awesome. And I know you've got a little one; she maybe doesn't understand the magnitude, but that's going to be really cool and special to to look back on at some point that you've got that connection. It's it's one of the more special things I've been able to do in the big leagues is to share the field with my family and my best friend and his family. Um, you know, and then it was like. We were the only people on the field and 
taking pictures, hanging out, having fun. Um, those are the super, super important memories that will never be forgotten. You know, they're, I'll forget probably 95% of the hits that I had in the big league and 95% of the catches, but that's something that I'll never forget no matter where my mind goes. Do you guys have an opportunity to spend time at all? I know the A's are oftentimes opposite you guys uh, as far as schedule goes. Do you get ever opportunities to hang during the season outside? Of, and everybody's schedule is so busy, but but opposite or outside of playing against the A's, do you get to see Tony a lot? Once or twice a year. Um, usually we'll have one or two off days that kind of overlap that are on the same thing. And then, um, you know, we're, we're usually doing something different during the All-Star break because we tend to go – wherever our next series is going to be somewhere in that area to make things easier for travel. And, um, you know, so we don't really have too much time with them, unfortunately. All good though. Uh, it's best friends. That's that you take gaps from them. And then uh, you pick up, like you see them. It's like, you never, you never left. I go sometimes a couple of years without seeing some of my best friends from LA and then you see them and it's like, you never missed a beat. Yeah. It's pretty cool. All right. I, I was trying to wrap it up with a fun one. I've, I've done like, uh, you know, quiz and long go on baseball rules. I've asked Slater uh, if he knew certain guys numbers. I, I think he I think he got Logan Webb's number wrong. I was like, come on, man. I was like, it's Logan Webb out there, dude. I think he said 60 or something like that instead of 62. I got a different one for you. So obviously Yastrzemski, an all time baseball name. I actually one time when the all star game was here in 07, they did like a fan fest thing. I won the Hall of Fame trivia contest on spelling Yastrzemski correctly. I was like 16 years old or 17 years old. Uh, so obviously it's, it's one of the biggest names in baseball the history also because it's it's tough to spell i imagine you've you've had your name botched uh, a whole bunch of times uh, even tops did it this year they misspelled your name on a baseball card which was hysterical how good of a speller are you in general i'm an okay speller okay i'm gonna i'm gonna throw you a couple of teammates that you've had this year right. and let's you know they've been botching your name for years so, so now it's your time to, to shine and, and to botch there so we'll start with an easy one sean jelly you spell last name jelly h-j-e-l-l-e Okay, easy. That was, a, that was a simple one. This guy only played five games with you this year. Mike Papirski. Oh, P-A-P-I-E-R-S-K-I. Yeah, you got it. Nice. Nicely done. By the way, he's one of three Giants to wear number 70 this year. That's just my, one of my favorite notes of the season. Uh, another one here, Anthony Disclafani. Oh, see, this one's going to get me. Don't worry about capitalizing that one weird letter in the middle either. You can just... Uh, D E S C L A F A N I. You got it, dude. You're three for three. This one, this one is, is the bonus round. It's the final one we'll give you. Uh, do you know where I'm going? Do you know who the name is? Who it might be? He's new. He threw yesterday. He was sharp. Thomas Zapucky. Uh, <laughs> Hasn't been there that long for you to see the name either. Uh, S. Z A P U C K I. Dude, nailed it. Four for four. I don't think anybody who I've who I've done trivia with or, or quizzed anybody on on the podcast this year has uh, has gotten everything right. Or, or you know, the, the point is just to have some fun with it. But now there's no excuse. I mean, you've got it. You've got a tough one, but no excuse for anybody else to botch it. Mike, it's uh, it's great talking to you, man. It's it's really fun. Every time I've had an opportunity to, it's been really cool. And you're one of the, the great guys on the team. We love following you. We love watching you. And hoping for some success in this final month and a half, man. Best of luck to you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
Uh, really good stuff from Mike Yastrzemski. Of course, one of the everyday players for your San Francisco Giants. And he just had a birthday, actually. Birthday just passed on Tuesday when the uh, the Giants got a win over the Detroit Tigers. So really cool having that conversation with Mike Yastrzemski and sort of pouring through what it's like to become, a, you know, a longtime minor leaguer and then into the big leagues, becoming a veteran. And I love to hear that guys like Luis Gonzalez are leaning on Mike Yastrzemski to, uh, to find some success at the big league level. As we've done this podcast over the last couple of months, especially with some of the younger guys we've talked to, guys like Joey Barton, uh, talking to Austin Slater and, and talking to uh, uh, Sam Long, what it means to get a routine and, and how you develop that at the big league level and what it takes, uh, you know, it, it takes so much to get to the big leagues, but then what does it take to stay there? So to hear that these guys are leaning on each other, that they're helping each other out, it really, really does seem like a great clubhouse, a good room of guys on this San Francisco Giants team. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of the Inside Giant Moments podcast. So if you are enjoying, please rate, review, subscribe to us. You don't want to miss an episode all season long. We're coming up on the final month of the season. I don't forget, the season does go until October the 5th this year because of the late start after the lockout at the beginning of the year, they'll go to October the 5th. They'll wrap up the season down in San Diego against the Padres. So keep an eye on what's going on in the playoff races. Keep an eye on your San Francisco Giants to see if they can get back into this wild card hunt. But until then, everybody enjoy the weekend of games. You've been listening to the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. We'll talk to you next week. Swing and a drive! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay. The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.